Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We're closing out our work in the book that we've been using this month, Gary Keller's The One Thing. And, uh, as I've remarked before, I, I chose it hesitantly off of the business section of the Times bestsellers list, but, but the reason I did is it does such a wonderful job of explaining the spiritual principle of focus. And so from Ernest Holmes, we know that that means the idea of focus is that which we focus on will increase and improve. And certainly the thesis of this book is the, the tighter we have that focus, the clarity with which we poise that focus, the results can truly be amazing. Last week, we talked about the idea of purpose and priorities, that when we begin thinking of our primary focus in life as a specific purpose, uh, and when we give it the appropriate priority, that's really the formula for success. So the idea is we, we have something clearly in, in our mind. We think of it as being on purpose towards that. Uh, we give it the resources and the time it needs recipe for total success. Today I want to wrap up this study with a, a, a couple footnotes. First of all, the idea of making a commitment to this. Uh, and I have three different ideas, three, three main commitments that I think that you can make towards your purpose that might make all the difference. And then I'm going to finish up with four thieves. As you can imagine, there are things that might tend to take away or diminish our focus. And so uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that. So what are these three commitments? Why is a commitment necessary in terms of moving forward with your ideal or, or that which you want to bring focus into your life? And, and the first of these main ideas of commitments is a commitment to mastery. Let me talk about this for a minute. Now, if you've looked up some of the science on what it takes to actually master something, it's a little bit staggering. It's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, most of the studies have shown that we're looking at thousands of hours of dedication to a particular subject, whether it's learning how to play a, the piano, uh, whether it's really getting good at your field of study, uh, whether it's becoming you know, a registered nurse or, or whatever it is, to truly master a subject no matter what that subject is, is quite a devotion, and you can expect thousands of hours involved. And so you might be saying, oh my God, Larry, if I have to devote thousands of hours to some kind of a vision of the future, that's kind of a hurdle you're putting up. How is this actually helpful <laughs> as opposed to setting up the dynamics of something I don't even want to start at? Well, it isn't so much actually whether you spend those thousands of hours it's your idea that it's that important to you. So it's the willingness to see it as something that you will go to almost any means necessary. And it's that, that commitment, that idea that, oh my gosh, if I, if I have to take a class to get better at it, if I have to, to find a mentor to do it, the idea that I'm willing to really put myself out there even if it's uncomfortable. And so in the book, they, they call it that willingness to mastery. I'm going to become a master at this. I'm going to become a master at going back to school. I'm going to become a master at loving relationships. Whatever it is that's in your idea that you really want to pursue, 
whether it's mending a relationship that's gone haywire, whether it's enhancing your own life or your own career, whatever that is, if we approach it with that idea of mastery, I'm going to become a master at this. And then we begin casting our net for ways that truly we can accomplish that. Sometimes training is required. Sometimes coaching by someone who already has a level of mastery in that idea. But when we really feel committed, when we have that sense of mastery, I will tell you a couple things happen. One thing is that laser focus that we've been talking about is so easy to maintain, right? Because you're thinking about how to get this done, and it brings it into sharp relief. And when we are focused on a goal, spirit is focused on a goal. When we begin recognizing that co-creative power of spirit itself, oh my gosh, the resources will come forward. The necessity for planning and priorities will come forward. Things that seem impossible suddenly seem completely doable. But it is that attitude of I'm all in. Let me contrast that just for a moment with the idea of doing it to just get by. So often when we embark upon something, I think there's this idea of, well, how much do I really have to put into this to get results? Do you see the difference here? Would this be enough time? Would this be enough energy? If I, if I just want to squeak through, if I just want to get that degree and I don't care what my grades are, have you ever found yourself in that position? It's like, no, I just need that CNA certificate so I can get better pay at nursing. I don't actually care how good I get at it, right? Do you see the difference here? The trouble is when we do something in a, if you'll pardon the expression, with a half-assed intention, you can guess what the results are. So contrast that with that idea of mastery. I'm putting my whole heart and soul into this. Then God puts God's whole heart and soul into that. The second commitment that they ask us to make, and we talked a little bit about this last week, is the idea of a purpose. So it's not just something you're going to try out. It's not just something you're giving a go at. You really see it as a life's purpose. You see it as your calling. In spiritual terms, it's how God's going to get God's job done in the world. This is part of my life's purpose. And so we begin with that idea of, of true faith that there is a co-creator here involved. And we put that level of stick to to our purpose even when we have initial failures. One of the things that we have to be aware of is that when we, when we first start doing something, there are going to be missteps. When we first start doing something, we're not actually all that good at it. It requires perseverance. How many of you, just out of curiosity, happened to be here for the talent show last night? Okay, so maybe about a third of you. Well, what you witnessed was a sweet and lovely and powerful set of performances by uh, about a dozen of our congregants. And do you know what? They were magnificent. Right? Were they not magnificent? Let me tell you, though, what happened behind the scenes. Behind the scenes were hours and hours and hours of practice, 
of evaluations, of retooling, of more practice, of effort, and the necessary faith and I'm speaking, of course, for myself, for those of you who are new, uh, who weren't here. I went way out, out of my comfort zone and played the guitar, even though I've really only been taking it up for, uh, uh, for a few months. And, and I've got to tell you, uh, if I would have just got up without all of that preparation, uh, it would have been a no-talent show <laughs> rather than a talent show. And so, so when things aren't working right, from the get-go, when there are mistakes, when there are missteps, this isn't the call to back down. This is the call to persevere. No one, well, I shouldn't say no one, but very, very, very few people are good at a thing right out of the starting gate. It is so rare. And yet many of us feel that if I try something new, if I go back to school, if I try approaching a relationship in a different way, if I, if I choose to, to try to, to move up in my career structure, whatever it might be, we go with the assumption, I got to be good right away. And we're disappointed in ourselves and, and start backing away when that isn't true. Well, I'm here to tell you one of the amazing commitments that you can make to yourself is staying on purpose, perseverance, even in the face of mistakes. The third commitment that's so important, and this one I am going to have to do a little bit of explaining. In the book, he calls it being committed to the accountability cycle. And, and, and this will take some explaining because he says there are two common ways that we process something bad happening. And one is the accountability cycle and one is the victim cycle. And so I'm going to pitch at you the victim cycle first because I think this may ring a bell a little bit for some of us. So the victim cycle is something bad happens. First of all, we don't even really want to admit that it happened. We'd almost like to just look the other way as though it were a traffic accident that you're not involved in. The second thing that we try to do often is to blame the outside environment. The reason that I'm struggling so going back to school is that the professors are terrible. The reason that I'm having such trouble in this relationship is because I'm married to a so-and-so. The reason that this job is hard is because the bosses are terrible and the benefits are bad. Do you see how it goes? And, and it's only natural. I mean, no one wants to own up to the, the sheer mess of life on some days. And yet, if we can't own up to the mess, will we be able to stand strong for the solution? See, I think it goes hand in hand. Now, let me contrast that to the accountability cycle. The accountability cycle, when something bad happens, we seek reality. We look with that realist eye towards what happened. Was it really something that the boss did? Was it really something that the school or the teachers did? Was it really something that my spouse did? Or do I have at least 50% of the responsibility, if not all of the responsibility, for this situation? The second thing that we do is we acknowledge and take ownership. We just say, you know, it may be a mess, but I am just powerful enough to be the one that created this mess that I'm sitting right in the middle of. 
and we're okay with that. The mess is mine. The misstep is mine. The blow up at work, I will take responsibility. Now, not always 100%. Where people are involved, we all get to participate in each other's messes from time to time. I get that, but I'm not going to put the blame out there. I'm going to put the blame and the responsibility right here because it's my life. I get to choose how I react to the world when it looks less than pretty. I get to choose to be the one to move forward with solutions rather than just placing blame. And that's the final part of this responsibility cycle is we seek and evaluate the problem with solutions that we can enact. We're not just going to wait and hope for a better day. We're not just going to hope that the rest of the world cleans up its act and that we'll be able to sail through. No, we take responsibility for the problem and we work on the resolutions and the solutions ourselves and we get on with life. We fine-tune our approach, we make changes. So again, those three commitments we can make that will make all the difference in us reaching our ideals of success, being committed to mastery, that idea that I'm, I'm really in this to be as good at it as I can, being committed to purpose, not being willing to step back at those first few failures, really seeing this as a, a life purpose, and finally, that idea of the accountability cycle. I'm going to follow through with this. When there are upsets, when the world feels like it's falling apart, I'm not just going to blame the universe. I'm going to take responsibility for what is mine and move through it. Okay, so those are the three commitments. There are also four thieves, four things that if we don't pay attention to are apt to steal that focus, steal that success right out from under our feet. And I think to move into that area, there's a joke involved. Actually, actually, I love you all so much. It's a two for today. Two jokes for the price of one. <laughs> all right, first of all, joke number one, and it is a bit of a stinker, but... Uh, there you have it. So a robber breaks into a house while the residents are away. Eager to see what he can loot, he quickly starts grabbing valuables with his trained eye. Suddenly, he hears a voice come out of nowhere. Jesus is watching you. <laughs> well, the criminal jumps. He's scared. He thinks the residents are back. But after a few moments of silence, nothing's going on, he resumes his looting. Suddenly, the voice again Jesus is watching you. Well, quite confused, the thief searches the house, doesn't find a soul except for a parrot in a cage in the kitchen. You knew this was coming, didn't you? It's one of those dumb parrot jokes. All right, so, so he's looking at the parrot, and sure enough, the parrot says, Jesus is watching you. Going to the parrot, he asks it, are you the one that's just been bugging me? The parrot responds, yes. Well, what's your name, parrot? Ishmael, the parrot replies. Well, the man laughs. What kind of an idiot names a parrot Ishmael? The parrot speaks again, the same type of idiot that names the Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> well, about, about a third of you are laughing. So joke number two, joke number two. What's the difference between an amateur thief and a professional thief. The amateur thief says, give me all your money. The professional thief says, 
just sign here, please. <laughs> so what are these thieves? What are these people or these ways that can take success away from you? Well, I got to tell you, the only thief to your success is likely to be you. And so let me talk about some of the four primary ways that you can self-sabotage your own success. I hate to do this, but I think it's necessary. The first way that you can sabotage your success in focusing in and getting some of your dreams done is because you can't say no. You just can't say no. So here we are. We have this vision of the future. We're taking steps towards it. We've made those three commitments. I'm, I'm into the mastery. I'm into focus. I'm, I'm taking steps in that direction. And then the phone rings and you agree to help your brother-in-law on a project that's going to last three months. It's like, what just happened? Where were your priorities? Well, I didn't feel like I could say no. So are you one of those people? I do happen to be one of those people, actually. It is very difficult for me to say no, right? I'm part of your lives. You feel like my extended family. Well, and I have a real family that asks me stuff as well. Super hard for me to say no. And yet, if I do not say no, I will not meet my goals, my purpose for being in ministry. And the same is true for you, whether it's goals and a vision you have for your profession, whether it's goals you have for making a better life for you and your family, you simply will not be successful if every time a person asks you to do something or be something or change your priorities for them, if you say yes. Now, this doesn't mean that there are sometimes when dividing your priority up is impossible to avoid. I mean, I get that. Tragedies come up, times where only you can do something for a family member. I mean, I get that. But that's a little different than when the knee-jerk reaction is always just to say, yes, I would be glad to help you. If you do that, you will diminish your ability to focus. When you diminish your ability to focus, God even gets the mixed signal of how am I, how am I to help this person, right? Is it this or is it this? And so we must have a good deal of clarity on where we want to send that idea of our thoughts, those ideas of our prayers. It's not that God can't concentrate on more than one thing at a time, but you can't. You can't. The second uh, thief that uh, stands in our way is nothing more and nothing less than the fear of unknown. If you're embarking upon something new, by definition, it has pieces in it you have never done before. And that right there is enough to stop some people in their tracks. I want to offer you a ray of hope. Actually, it's uh, probably about 10 years ago in one of the first foundations class I, I taught. We were talking about the nature of God. We were talking about God being uh, all-pervasive, uh, you know, not only an inward God, but, but truly everything we can see and feel, everything being part of the divine spirit. And I remember this uh, a young woman came up to me on the break, and she said, 
I feel a little weird about your description of God. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I was trained to think of it as though Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, just, just kind of hung around me all the time, almost as though uh, the spirit of Jesus itself was just sitting on my shoulder, always there to love me, always there to guide me, always there to, to help me make good choices. And, and I feel after you've done this big talk about what God is, as though as though that's just a childish dream that I should give up with. And I said, oh my gosh, no. No, 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 no. You've got it right. Of course, it doesn't matter what you call it. You can call it Jesus. You can call it God. You can call it your Buddha nature or your higher wisdom self. But oh my gosh, that's beautiful. That's the, the perfect way of looking at it. There is that force of good and light and joy that is always with all of us. And when we really believe it the way I feel you believe this, you will get that good advice. You, you will get that input from spirit itself that guides you in ways and, and co-creates with you in ways that we could never do on our own. This is where you can enter the field of the unknown with confidence because spirit is there with you. It doesn't matter if it's a path you've tried before or not. It doesn't matter if you've ever tried to do a thing or not. When you have that level of faith in something bigger than yourself, something that is all powerful and all loving and all joyous and more than ready to share the keys to the kingdom with you, that's the exact correct place to be thinking from and speaking from. And if it helps you to think of it as you did as, as a child with Jesus on your shoulder, I say go with it. If you want to take a, a, a more supposedly adult idea of it simply as God being with you and, and helping you and aiding you always, that's fine. But really, I don't care about the words. It's the feeling. It's the sense. It's the faith that spirit is there for you and with you always. That's the antidote to fear, my friends. That is the antidote to fear. The third thief is your health or your lack of it. Have you known someone who is a workaholic to the extent that actually they became physically ill? Now you see there's a danger here. When we focus on things, when we focus on our career, when we focus on this great goal that we have, we have to know that this body temple that God has given us is part of the tool set. If we do not maintain our tools, if it's not part of the plan, we will ultimately fail. No matter how smart our brain is, no matter how we're plugged into our life's purpose, if we allow our body to, to fall by the wayside, if we don't give it the sleep that it needs and the nutrition it needs, ultimately we are not worth much in this world. And so the body has to be part of the plan. Even as you're planning the glorious future for yourself in whatever area of focus you've chosen, know that it also <laughs> involves uh, clean water and air. Know that it also involves plenty of good sleep. Know that it also involves and should be part of your plan for eating healthily and taking exercise. And then the fourth of the thieves, the fourth of these things that can rob you from your glory 
is poor environment. And I, I do need to explain this one a little bit because when we start talking about our having a poor environment, it could be that place that you look outward to place blame again, right? If I were to say, well, maybe the environment that you're working on your sobriety isn't so hot if you're a bartender, <laughs> as a rough example, you might say, well, yes, it's the bar that caused me to have drinking problems, right? So when we start blaming our environment, we're, we're violating one of those commitments that we talked about, right? Ownership. I'm going to take ownership for everything in my life, including my environment. But that's no excuse to be in a poor environment. If you're working on being back to school, you need to make sure you have space where you can study. We're not going to blame our poor grades on the fact that it's noisy at home. We're not going to do that, but we're going to notice if I want to be good when I go back to the community college, I want some peace and quiet, and I'm going to find a place where I can have that. If it's not at home, I'm going to hang out at the study hall at the school. So we also need to make sure we're not trying to do what is important to us in an environment where it is not supported. And I have to tell you, occasionally, occasionally that will include people as well as physical environments. If you want to promote and learn how to be in a loving relationship, this could be difficult if you are surrounded by people who don't know how to do that very well. If you want to work on your own sense of abundance and, and the people around you tell you it's impossible and you're stupid to try it, and why the heck is this even important to you? Stick to your knitting. This is not an environment that is likely to bring success. And so one of the thieves to your own success can be the people in the environment around you. You need to be strong to your idea of who you want to be, what you want to do, that sense of purpose, and you may have to change that environment in order to take full ownership of what's going on in your life. This is where we have to put on the big person pants and move forward even if it means saying goodbye to an old friend, even if it means uh, having to do a certain uh, percentage of the, the work and the progress we want to make outside of our, of our home or a primary relationship, whatever it needs to be, you are that important. You are more important than your environment, and your goals are more important than your past environment. Okay, I'm going to briefly summarize here. Uh, first of all, we talked about the three commitments that if you make them, there will be no stopping you. One is the commitment to mastery, moving forward as though you're going to become a total master at whatever it is. That idea of I'm all in. The second one, being committed to that purpose, not allowing early failures to, to hold you back or to derail you. I'm in this for the, the full Monty here. I'm going to do what's necessary. If there are mistakes, I move through them. And the final one is being committed to accountability. The good part of it is mine, and the mess is part of it, mine too. 
I'm going to look at this as a learning experience. I'm going to take full ownership for the whole enchilada here. The good as well as the bad. See reality as best I can. Make good decisions. Plan the future. Move forward in it. Do some self-correcting and self-testing. Make sense? And then we also talked about four thieves, the inability to say no, the fear of chaos, fear in general, our poor health and our poor working environment. All of those things can rob you of your success. So we learn to say no. We become better at moving through the fear just of the unknown. We make sure that we have a healthy environment and healthy habits around our physical body. So a tiny bit of homework for you as we conclude this. I would like you again to think of that area of focus that we started this month with. I invited you, if you'll remember, to find an area in your life that you really want to see some improvement in. Today I would ask you whether you're willing to make those three commitments to that new way of being. Are you willing to make the commitment of mastery? Are you willing to be really committed to that purpose, even if there are failures along the way? And are you willing to be fully accountable when bad things happen? Are you willing to push through that and stay on track? I'm going to close today with a, a reading from the book and, of course, a prayer. He says, Taking complete ownership of your outcomes by holding no one but yourself responsible for them is the most powerful thing you can do to drive your success. As such, accountability is most likely the most important of these three commitments. Without it, your journey down the path of mastery will be cut short the moment you encounter a challenge. Accountable people absorb setbacks and they just keep going. Accountable people persevere through problems and push forward. Accountable people bring their best to whatever it takes without hesitation. Accountable people also achieve the results that others only dream of. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one love. Only this one thing. Call it what you will. I call it God. And what I know about this is that it is always here. It is as close as my breath. It is as though it's sitting on my shoulder, guiding and directing, loving and helping me to co-create the world of my dreams. And it does this through our focus. It does this through our power of intention. It does this by cooperating with us when we set our mind on something so pure and so beautiful, such a, a purpose in the world that we're willing to become a master at it. And as this is true for me, I know it is true for any and all. Each of us has that capability of, of becoming in that close partnership with God. Each of us has that power of training our focus on something that is, is important to us. And we will persevere. Each of us has that power of the divine creator on our side, even as we become the lesser creators of our own lives. Accountable powerful, joyous. For this, I give great thanks. For this, I simply understand that the power and presence of God moving through, around, and as us always. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here.
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.